and welcome to a special edition of the podcast, Are We Nearly There Yet? My name's Professor Andrew Sherry, and this month I'm talking to early career professionals about their journeys so far to discover who they are and what they're made to do and their aspirations for the future. Today I'm talking to Alan Simpson, who is a nuclear scientist at the National Nuclear Laboratory. Welcome, Alan, and thank you for joining me. Hi, Andrew. Lovely to be here. Alan, you were brought up in Essex and Somerset. Tell me a little bit about what you were like at school and what attracted you to do physics at university. Uh, I think to say at school I was the, the, the squarest of squares is probably the best way to describe it. Um, I think there's, a, there's a, a good reflection that just popped into my head uh, before about when I was probably the first couple of years at primary school. Um, it, it says a lot that for registration, uh, I was the kid that was right at the front of the class on the cushion at the front of the class, um, first to sit down every morning. Uh, and it sticks in my mind. There was, there was one day where for some reason uh, I wasn't feeling too great about something and I remember getting a cushion and sitting at the back of the class and my teacher calling me out on it of you know why why you sat at the back of the class and that probably kind of explains how regimented I was in in absolutely being there being at the front of the class and and I think that stuck through me with me through primary school through secondary school um uh definitely in in secondary school I was a incredibly academic um uh i wanted to be the best in pretty much every subject other than pe um which was definitely not my forte <laughs> <laughs> uh and uh and and generally d- did manage to to do that in a lot of subjects and 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 was uh, good not just in my stem subjects but in in my other subjects as well um but 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 that was kind of like the the main aspect of my life uh, for a lot of my childhood was was being academically uh, good at school, participating in the kind of extracurricular academic activities the uh, and and various things like that. Mm, so so you must have really enjoyed learning. Uh, I think I enjoyed the sense of achievement. Um, right. Uh, it, it, uh, I, I just describe it today as you, you sort of get that sort of little bit of endorphin hit when you get something right. Um, it's a good feeling. <laughs> uh, and I think that that was that was what suited me in the sort of school environment was actually the school environment. You 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 have lots of points where you get little sense of senses of achievement um, uh, uh, and that kind of kept spurring me on. So. What passed through your mind when you were thinking about what to do after school? So um, my school was uh, uh, didn't have a sick form or anything, so we had to go on to a further education college, which was really good, actually, because um, it, it forced us to think about kind of our careers and our, our future paths quite early on in our secondary school. Um, and we had lots of uh, support for, for careers. Um, uh, and kind of at, at the end of school, I knew that I wanted to 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 sort of stay academic. So I knew I wanted to do A levels, um, and generally I knew that I, I liked science uh, and maths. Um, uh, looking back, uh, I 
disliked English and history and the art subjects more than was probably fair. Um, uh, and so I kind of decided I'd go down a, a very uh, academic science route. I did physics, maths, further maths, computing. I threw a bit of geology in there for a, a sort of uh, uh, kind of uh, pushing, pushing the boat out a bit from, from that core group. Uh, and I always described that as, as kind of putting the decision off for a, few, a couple of years. Uh, uh, and I remember then at, then at college, we were having the discussions about what would you do at university and, and where would you do at university. And for me, it was a, a decision between uh, physics uh, and engineering. Um, uh, and the, the sort of decision came down to engineering would help me specialise in something earlier on. But um, as I kind of went through school, at school, I'd had this kind of really clear idea of I'd probably go and be an academic and I'd be in a university and stuff. And that kind of idea started to dissipate a lot as I went through college. Um, and so choosing to do physics at university was uh, really just an option to, to put off any decisions for four years, because I saw it as the sort of subject where you could do your, try your hand at anything after doing a physics degree. Um, uh, and, and so that's what drove me to to apply for physics. It does. It, it keeps your options open longer, doesn't it? Which I think is mm. never a bad thing. So so you went to Exeter. Tell us how you changed as a person during your university time. Uh, university was the, was the making of me as, as a person. I, I would wholeheartedly recommend to so many people that going away and doing the whole university experience is 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 massively important and it was the the thing that I needed to do um, you know there's there's lots of different opportunities for how we go to university for apprenticeship routes or, or normal graduate routes uh, nowadays and I think there are different uh, options that suit different people well for me that going in full throttle moving away from home uh, being in a different environment was was exactly what I needed it, it um, I didn't focus on the academic as much as I did it at school uh, I focused on kind of growing as a, as a person generally uh, and if I look back to the kind of very geeky quite square person that turned up in the halls at, at university on the first day to four years later uh, the, the person that uh, probably could have got a slightly better degree if I'd tried a bit harder but I, I definitely focused on all the extracurricular stuff at, at university which I think made me a kind of uh, more worldly uh, more more rounded uh, person yeah yeah it, 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 it is a whole the whole experience and the whole person thing isn't it university mm. the academic work is really important but there are other things that are really important as well so, so you finished university and then you joined British Airways as an infrastructure engineer. Tell us about your sort of first day as you walked through into that first job. How did it feel? Oh, it, it, it felt, felt great. British Airways is such an iconic brand to work for. Um, and to, to this day, I have a real special spot for, for British Airways in my heart. Um, so uh, again, in a uh, a series of life decisions mostly focused around uh, fairly trivial things. I'd, I'd chosen to go and work for British Airways uh, mostly because I wanted to live in London for a couple of years. Uh, a lot of friends that I've met at Exeter were from kind of the southeast of the UK, uh, moving to London. 
uh, I'd grown up in a, a small village in, in in Somerset and in Essex before that. Um, uh, and, you know, Exeter was my first city living experience. And I kind of wanted to go the, the whole hog and, and live in London for a bit. So I managed to get this this job at, at British Airways in in IT uh, supporting servers. Um, uh, you know, it was something that I thought I would uh, enjoy. I knew I'd be good at it. I'd been uh, able to look after computers and deal with computers for many years. But but really, the the reason I liked British Airways was for the for the brand. Um, mm. I developed a, a, a love of traveling around the world since uh, an opportunity at school to go on a Ghanaian exchange. Wow. And I'd been incredibly lucky to kind of continue traveling around the world throughout university. So uh, by the time I uh, I went to work for British Airways, I'd just done my sixth continent um, uh, and, and and really got to, to see a lot of the world. And um, I, that's, I think when I worked for British Airways and while I worked for British Airways when I, was when I really started realizing kind of how important people are and, and how important bringing people together are. Right. Um, yes. The, the the sort of the the role of an airline is is to connect families uh, and to connect people uh, around the world and, and bring communities closer together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a it's a it's a really inspiring proposition to work for. Yes, it's it, it brings that emotional element, doesn't mm-hmm. it? It's not just about flying from one place to the to another. It is about people. And, and actually, when you think you've joined National Nuclear Laboratory uh, after that, and we're here to um, uh, to use nuclear science to benefit society, and it's starting to try and bring in that emotional reason for what we what we do as an organisation. So, tell us a little bit about what you're doing now at NNL and your aspirations for the future. Yeah, so at NNL at the moment, I'm a, a scientist in our nuclear reactor physics team, which is quite a departure uh, from uh, what I did at British Airways. I'd always describe my, my, my route at BA as a bit of a diversion. Um, I think everyone occasionally needs a break from physics, um, and it was part of my break from physics. Uh, and I decided that I wanted to, to come back and, and kind of use my degree a bit more, uh, push myself a bit more. Um, and I've you know, always had a bit of a fascination with the, the, the two two areas I'm fascinated with are, are energy and, and transportation, uh, and uh, NNL really sits in the energy arena. So the, the work I do at the moment is um, uh, I kind of uh, coordinate and, and lead various projects uh, that support the operation of the current fleet of reactors uh, and development of of new technologies for new reactors. Uh, so we we support some of the operations at the, the Sellafield site through doing modelling and calculations uh, based on on fundamental physics. Uh, but I also look at uh, something called nuclear data, uh, which is all the underpinning information that allows us to do that that computation and modelling, which which actually um, requires a lot more work to to develop and understand than than people often realise when we're applying it to to new reactor systems and, and new fuel cycles. Um, so I coordinate NNL's work on that uh, as part of the, the Bayes Advanced Fuel Cycle Programme. Uh, and I also look at some the novel applications of nuclear technology. So one of the things I, I'm doing a lot of work on at the moment is 
how can we realistically look at um, generating hydrogen at scale from nuclear reactors as part of a future clean energy system? So I think one of the things I love at the moment is that the range of stuff I get to work on. Yes, yes, it, it, it is because you're, you're solving today's problems, um, but also looking out into the future to think about how can nuclear energy really serve society in different ways, not just through providing electricity, but also through heat and hydrogen production as well, all, yeah. all focused on climate change. Yeah, and I think that that's the thing that, that really drives me. And I, I've probably discovered since I, I joined NNL and, and kind of grows in me more and more every day, uh, is I, I'm a big believer in this idea that we should give every person in the world the same opportunity. Um, it's a principle that I think uh, Professor David Mackay set out in his book, Sustainable Energy Without the Hot Air, of when we talk about energy solutions, um, we should think about how we give every person in the world the same access to energy. And the more I think about that, the, the more it really drives me, because to me, access to energy is about how we allow people to lift themselves out of poverty. It's the difference between kind of the, the hand out and the hand up type phrase that the, the mm often um and i think from from traveling around the world um uh, i i don't think i've ever met people any anywhere in the world that want handouts but you know people are innovative uh they put energy and time into to, to doing great things in their communities uh, and i think when we talk about developing energy for the future we need to do develop energy solutions that enable them to just go and do that better um, uh, uh, and provide that energy at scale whilst minimizing the impact on the environment and and that's what draws me to to nuclear and to to really looking at how we can make nuclear cost competitive um, to a point where you know it can be uh, uh, oil and gas and uh, and solutions like that yeah. uh, and can play a, a really significant role in a clean energy transition yes yes so tell us a little bit about your sort of personal aspirations for your career future where do you see yourself in say five years time this is a question i always um i always struggle with because um i think i, I enjoy so many different things i think the one thing that still sticks with me uh, that I've kind of had as an aspiration for about a decade now is I really want to spend some time living and working abroad. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's something that I, I want to, to look at doing uh, uh, soon. Um, but I think overall, in terms of where I'll be, what I'll be doing, um, I'm really enjoying at the moment uh, and the kind of work defining and leading projects that solve problems. Um, and I think, I hope to kind of expand in that area and, and be able to say that, you know, I, I, I lead and, and look after uh, uh, projects or programs that, that solve real world problems and aim to make people's lives better. Fantastic. That's, that's really good, Alan. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thank you very much, Andrew. this podcast 
To help others enjoy it too, please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. And don't forget to rate and review. Thank you.